Hello everybody and welcome to This Game Where with me, Chris, and... Me, Ashley! Mixing it up! I did your thing! You did my thing! Yeah. Yep, did you enjoy it? Was it better than coming up with some half-baked, not even a pun? It was nice as a novelty because I'm really starting to run out of ideas for my intros, so... I gave for... you a load, you've yeah, only used I've... about three. I've gone through most of them. Mm, I haven't heard them. Mine were the quality ones, are you sure mm. you used those ones? Yep. All gone. Mm. No, I don't remember them. Oh well. You alright? Yes, thank you. How are you? Oh, so good. So Been to good. Wales. Yeah? How was that? That was great. No games. Well, actually games. We played some games. But for the most part, off the grid. Off the grid. What what games did you play in Wales? Uh, we. I actually was playing Immortals Phoenix Rising with nice. Hannah's young cousin, who is the one that we also play Fortnite with on a, on a regular-ish basis. Or, in fact, a very regular basis, often twice a week, so... Lovely. Yeah, it was nice. In a caravan, playing Fortnite, a bit of Immortals Phoenix Rising, going on the beach. Having some ice cream. Having some ice cream, that was true. Yeah. One day, we spent £10 on ice cream between me and Hannah. That's okay. It was very easy to do because it was £2.50 per tub of ice cream. So we had two tubs each over the course of the day. That's fine. You're on holiday. Well, that's what we said. That's yeah. what we said. It's yeah. a way, you say that's a way to justify. I'm on holiday. I'm gonna have a. I'm gonna spend seventy quid on a meal. It's fine. I'm on holiday. I think it's completely fine as long as the meals. the The problem would be if the meals doesn't feel like it justifies the seventy pounds. But oftentimes everything's skewed on holiday anyway because you're on holiday and you're exactly. happy. Exactly. So the meal probably feels like it's worth seventy pounds, even if it's on your on your holly bobs. I'm gonna be that person. No, no. Sorry, I've Way ruined to it. Ruin everything. I really have, haven't Ugh. I? Yeah. Right, what we're we doing this week then, Ashley? We are doing this game where you are. I'll tell you what, you're gonna love it. Uh, before I launch into that, I, I just thought I should say, I think you're going to really like this. Right. In now, fact, I think I know before the fact you know that I know you like this. That puts me on the back foot because I now think I'm going to hate it. I think you're being sarcastic. No. No, this is genuinely something I'm going to love. It's this game where you are sucked into an alternate reality of the character's own making so you can help to save the good parts from something nefarious. Is it Toonstruck? Oh, yeah. It's Lit- a bit of Toonstruck. Literally was playing Toonstruck about two weeks ago. Were you? Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so you know all about Toonstruck. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a, a game... you played it through before. I know that you've played this game before, even prior to two weeks ago. Yeah, well, the reason I played it two weeks ago is because my, my daughter's big into Back to the Future at the moment and I wanted Ooh. to show her the intro with uh, obviously Christopher Lloyd in and she mm. was vaguely amused by it and then managed to play about three minutes of actual point and click action because yeah it's, it's a bit beyond her uh, and that was that but possibly that's that's the experience in, in the last two weeks whereas the actual my experience of it is a game I played a lot about 20 to 25 years ago yeah I played this game this is one of those games that belonged initially to my next door neighbour Right, he was okay. the first person to have a fully fledged PC uh, in his house that I knew, and he grabbed this as one of the games. And uh, installing it was an interesting affair. It was one of those ones where you had to go into a command prompt and type in all of the installation in command prompt. Which really? I don't know if you remember doing that. Yeah, no. was, yeah. Did you not have that? The, the version I had was one of the Virgin White Label ones, where yep, it was the, me too. The, the oh, okay. So I don't remember doing that at all. I remember being. Well, I don't remember anything about installing. What, like an installation, like a a wizard? I honestly don't remember. No? Ah, well. Uh, It doesn't really matter. The game also includes a cow who likes bondage, so it's probably a good job that your daughter didn't get get too far into it. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. It started off, in when it was first in development, the idea that was being bandied around was like a high-quality children's adventure 
point and click adventure game. The idea was then handed over to the writers and designers and it swiftly became a slightly more adult oriented uh, adult oriented affair with an SNM cow among other things. For anyone that's not familiar with Toonstruck, it does indeed star as the main character or one of the main characters Christopher Lloyd and it is a digitized version of the real Christopher Lloyd it's not it's not a hand-drawn animated version of him he has actually been filmed and popped into the game a la who framed Roger Rabbit yeah definitely that was gonna be my touch point for this as well the only difference being that Christopher Lloyd played the bad guy in uh in who framed course, Roger Rabbit yeah. whereas he's the good guy here I've always kind of linked the two things together, but I'd never actually noticed the, the, the twain going together in terms of Christopher Lloyd. You're absolutely right. Most point to pause, though, and just say, Hugh Frame Roger Rabbit, amazing film. Genuinely brilliant. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's, it that's, that's my only contribution. Just want to, want to just give a shout out to Hugh Frame Roger Rabbit. I don't think anyone's going to argue that Hugh, Hugh Frame Roger Rabbit is underrated. I think there's a, a strong case to be made that Toonstruck is, is highly underrated. Yeah. Or at least just not valued now as a as a cultural artifact in the way that I personally would like it to be. Yep, agreed. Or wish it was. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Um, just as a before we move on off off the film, um, I remember reading, uh, or I remember watching a documentary where it was mentioned or something. That there's the scene where Bob Hoskins is falling and Mickey Mouse and Bugs mm. Bunny appear next to him. That that scene to get Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny together on screen at the same time that was like years and years of behind the scenes wrangling negotiations. Negotiations, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yep. It really was that that film was pulled together on a what do they say a wing and a prayer mm. as far as I understand. It really was tenuous at times whether they'd be able to pull it off, and yet it's the actual finished product feels very seamless and yeah. and complete and i think yeah. if you didn't if you didn't have those hard hitters like bugs bunny like mickey mouse um it just wouldn't quite have reached the lofty heights that, yeah. it, that it did i haven't watched it for a while so i'm hoping that if i do watch it again it, it's as good as i remember it being i've watched it within the last decade and remember it was a film i had it on i take it off the telly when i was about eight or nine and watched it a lot and then i watched it again about a decade or so ago and it still held mm. up there's a very specific reason that we are now doing that we're doing toonstruck now okay do you know why that might be i don't think you'll guess without me saying but it'll probably be obvious when when i do uh christopher lloyd's old no <laughs> Okay. Good guess, though. No, uh, Disney Plus released a film of Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. Of course, which is being, being touted as a kind of as the spiritual new... successor to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Good call. And, and rightly so, because it, I mean, it takes some of the same ideas, like being turned into a tune and um, the I. Oh, and I really like the idea of like 2D versus 3D, which has been yeah. a bit of a bone of contention for two or three decades now in term in in animation circles um and turns that into like a central premise of the rift between the two characters in in uh, chippendale but it then got my mind on to who framed roger rabbit and toonstruck because those are the two artifacts uh, th- those are the two two cultural touch points that seem most relevant mm-hmm. to the mashup of animation and live action being uh, thrown together who Framed Roger Rabbit is a live-action film that incorporates animated characters into the live-action world. Toonstruck, for the most part, is a cartoon world that incorporates live-action elements into its cartoon world. So it's the complete polar opposite in that sense. 
of of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes, maybe maybe we should explain for anyone who's not familiar with the game itself, kind of what the plot is possibly. Cause what can't... a lovely little segue, because my um there that I will probably cut out so no one will hear it. My um was leading into telling people what the game is. It's exactly. it's a point and click adventure game. Which, if you've been listening to our show for any length of time, you'll know that we we enjoyed and still enjoy a lot uh, that genre. The game sees Christopher Lloyd's main character, Drew Blank, who is a cartoonist, sucked into a world that consists of three areas. I can't, I, I don't know if the world has its own name, but that it consists of three areas, Qtopia, Zanidu, and the Malevolence. Mm-hmm. And in this world, uh, there is a character called Count Nefarious. And I gave you a nice big clue in my This Game Where spiel because I said uh, that you help to save the good parts from something nefarious. And that is right. actually the character's name. So missed out. Well, I suppose you got it, but you didn't click with that, did you? No, I didn't, I'll be honest. No. Count Nefarious is a subject of the Malevolence. He he lives in the Malevolence. He threatens the other two areas, Qtopia and Zanidu, with turning them into warp versions of themselves to sort of make them... To, to basically spread out the malevolence. Yeah. The game was developed from October 1993, so onwards. And do you remember when it released? I would guess 97. It was 96, but uh. close to 97. No, November 1996. It had, and this is all over the screen, so I'm not surprised, uh, and you won't be either, but it had a huge budget. I, they've never been... Certainly when I've been looking into this, there's never been an actual number, an actual figure put on it. But apparently Virgin were really, really pushing this from behind the scenes to be there, to be like their breakout success. They'd had the seventh quest prior to this that was a CD-ROM success. And this was their attempt to really push into the to the mainstream of, of games and point-and-click adventure games. Well, if you think uh, about the game particular. itself, like the, the style of it, you've got Chris, a digitised version of Christopher Lloyd. And to get mm. him in the mid-90s, and then so the, the technology they've had to have harnessed to actually get him into the game. And obviously, the, he's voicing, he's not only acting, well, he is acting, but it's his voice voicing everything you interact with. He has the voiceover mm. part of as well. I mean, that wouldn't have been cheap. But you've also no, got his... I mean, his... Let, let, me just, let me just interrupt you there, because there's a, a really important point uh, to add to that, because Chris Floyd's not the only big hitter in this. Exactly what I was about various. to say. Oh, right, okay. Go on. God, this it feels a bit like dicks ringing this doesn't it sort of trying to out no out, no no it's fine other. Uh, the, well, well i've the, done the research so if this is coming off the top of your head i'm quite impressed so don't the, feel like i'm the other main voice was dan castellanetta aka yep, the voice of flux Homer Simpson. so he was flux wildly who was the companion but i think he also voiced a few other characters and again obviously yeah mid-90s very much riding that simpsons crest uh, but he also did lots of the voice acting he was the in the Return of Jafar, which was the direct-to-video sequel to Aladdin, he voiced the genie and did a very good mm-hmm. job of it. But then when the third one came around, which was the King of Thieves, I think, where they had Sean Connor as Aladdin's dad, they then managed to get mm-hmm. Robin Williams back in as the genie. And then all the marketing stuff was, Robin Williams is back as the genie, which must have stung for Dan Castellanetta a little bit. Or, or maybe not, because I imagine he got paid quite a lot for Probably, it anyway. Yeah. So Dan Castellanetta, as you rightly say, is Flux Wildly, who's a little pink character that drew blank christopher lloyd's uh character uh imagined up but we'll we'll come back to the, that a little bit we'll park it and come back to yep. it um tim curry is is of course he is count nefarious yes so you've got those three oh my god as, I mean, what, the, what a as the triumvirate yeah protagonists and antagonists 
three super huge stars in the in the mid 90s we're talking mid 90s it's, it's early to mid 90s 1993 was uh when it started i don't know when these guys came on on the scene though so What's presumably I, from what again i've gathered dan castellanetta was a reasonably early get because he when was the simpsons starting 1999 89 so even then i suppose it's been running for four years by mm. 1993 they did have somebody else uh voicing flux wildly in the initial motions of the game but they just wasn't working out they weren't right. getting what they wanted from him and they got dan castellanetta and i was reading an interview i think it was in retro gamer they were talking about how they got dan castellanetta and it being a bit of a coup because he was just riding those first few years of, of being homer simpson and that from the sound of it they got him reasonably at a reasonable price because it <laughs> wasn't like yeah um but it it wasn't even just them three it there was there was a host of uh good solid comedy names in even in sort of secondary characters so i'm going to give you a quick list lovely dom de louise who uh, made a name for himself uh, as uh, characters in mel brooks films okay uh, david ogden styers i can't remember where david ogden styers is off the top of my head but a uh, big name in comedy at the time jeff bennett uh, ben stein who you might know as the teacher from ferris bueller oh what anyone anyone bueller, bueller? Yeah. anyone anyone that one the the history teacher that plays excellent a super uh boring history teacher um and jim cummings who i know the name of again but i can't remember what he was in and i did do all the research just didn't write it down i think he's one of those names that like um kath susie um is another name i'm familiar with she does a lot of voiceover work and jim cummings is one that i've seen in like yeah you know, cartoons and, and films and stuff so um mm. yeah i imagine that's that yeah, they, even going beyond them, that that is just a little sort of snippet, a little taste of of the cast. Because if you go into uh, it, it a bit deeper, there's there's characters being voiced by like the who's who of quality cartoon voice actors of the '90s. So people that would have appeared as regulars or or um, main characters in Animaniacs or The Simpsons um, or any of the Warner Brothers type fast like water tasmania and things like that because yeah. uh, i i think if i and i'm probably i think probably everyone thinks of their childhood as this but the 90s to me was the he- was a heyday or a second coming of cartoons and also the death throes of car of 2d animation in a lot of ways as well as being like a a golden age as i yeah. thought as i've already said uh, both in film terms and tv terms we grew up with those we grew up with uh, like nickelodeon stuff yeah or, which was absolutely amazing. And Cartoon Network. And Rude Dog and all that. And Cartoon Network was doing amazing things with cartoons as well. The Cartoon Cartoons uh, were another string of of um, quality stuff. But Warner Brothers were, were pushing out really top quality children's programming. In I've already mentioned the Animaniacs and I've already mentioned Tasmania. But there was just a raft of it. All, always, all, at uh, all times, cartoons were big in the 90s it's, it's interesting because like obviously space jam came out a little bit after this that was yep. like 97 98 and obviously that was bugs bunny etc and the sequel mm. came out uh, last year and i remember mm. reading one of the reviews where the reviewer had pointed out that bugs bunny and that like kids nowadays i mean this makes me sound really old they don't really know him no they don't because those those cartoons aren't around anymore and i think it's no. it's it's right 
that my, my daughter, for example, she was, I can't remember how it came to the conversation, but she had no understanding of who Taz was or what Taz is. And I found that yeah. really surprising because, as you said, when I was her age, the Tasmania Devil cartoon was on and I, I loved it. It was great. Also, Titan yeah. Adventures, that was another one from yep. that sort of, and I thought that was brilliant. That was tied very, very strongly into the Animaniacs. Mm-hmm. There was, so there was a, there was quite a, oh, do you remember Bonkers? Bonkers. That was another one that. Yeah, no, he was like a cat, a cat police officer who was a bit zany. Uh, all of these are touchstones for this game. In so much as Flux Wildly is a, admittedly, I'll be honest, a bit of a tame version of those zany characters yeah. like the Animaniacs and so on. Um, and he comes, he he heralds from Zany Do, and Zany Do is a homage, I suppose, to those Warner Brothers, uh, the, to the Warner Brothers output, which was usually a lot more off the wall and zany even in the early days if you think wiley coyote and uh the roadrunner and daffy duck and and bugs bunny it was all about zany comedy yeah in contrast to that you've got cutopia and cutopia draws from the disney tradition of of children's animation and everything's a little bit saccharine and sweet and 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 too cute for tv so so there there are definitely those two strands of animation in the 90s and that's that's something that this game draws on heavily it's also got that great joke early early on with the foot soldier that joke um still made me laugh when i played it a couple weeks ago the uh you let enter but a castle the the first area is a castle of the king who's basically like a, a smile like a smiley emoticon and his one of his butlers is a foot soldier who is or Foot, footman sorry not foot soldier a footman is mm. literally a giant foot who has five uh toes each toe has a little face on and he's standing with arms and legs like an anthropomorphized version of a foot dusting some things and you have to ask him for some information to uh it's one of the very first puzzles of the game and that joke i still think is pretty funny yep we'll get to that bit as well so we'll be able to experience yeah, it and it might be even might be even funnier in the doing than the telling maybe maybe one of my main memories of this game is the fact that the front cover had the clown with the balloon animals. Yeah. And that clown doesn't pop up until the last bit of the game. I always found that quite strange because yep. the clown I found quite sinister. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why why it's strange that the person on the box would pop up at the end of the game. Well, I like, don't, it's, it's not I don't main, really follow. It's not a main character. Like, you think a Toonstruck. Oh, you, I suppose, you, you yeah. Want Christopher Lloyd, you'd want, you know, starring Dan Castellaneta, starring Tim Curry, you'd want all that. And instead, it had this clown that pops up as a character you speak to a little bit towards the end of the game. Um, yeah. And I, I, I say, I remember finding him quite, he, he's in the kind of, he, he does these like non-secuteurs that are references to things like Mork and Mindy. And I didn't really get it because it was, it's that American culture that obviously we didn't get over here. And I I just found it just absurd that that was the thing that was on the box. Yeah, I think then. So there's a, a bit to unpack there. And, and it ties into some of the uh, situations around the game. There, there are a couple of articles that I've read one, uh, in, in preparation for this. One comes from Retro Gamer in 2017, and there's lots in there that's really interesting. I'll, I'll send that to you yeah, that to sounds have good. a read of. Um, there maybe, was also... maybe we should uh, share it on the old social media as well. Oh, yeah, if we if we get our thumbs out and, yeah. and share it on there, that would be good too. There was a second shorter article by the games, uh, by Destructoid, on Destructoid, in a segment that they titled The Games That Time Forgot. This is actually from 16 years ago. So they're talking only a decade after wow. the game released, and they're talking about Toonstruck being a forgotten game, which I think is probably about right. Yeah. Frankly and sadly, 
because there's so much good stuff in this. Both of those articles together paint a pretty good picture of what was going on with the game and why it turned into what it was, and also why it died a death, died died a very quick and hopefully painless death, but probably not painless. The game, as far as Virgin were concerned, as I've already outlined, the game was supposed to be like their big push into the mainstream and also to become a massive player. They were sort of angling for it to be hugely cinematic, hugely ambitious in scope and in production quality. And they were pouring money into it, so there was no problem there. The producers were very enthusiastic and supportive, by all accounts that I could find, of the production and all of the different directions it went in and the um, uh, the, the work that was being produced. But then one of the main issues that the, that the game had to contend with was a lack of marketing, uh, which okay. in the 90s was all too often the case. So you said about the fact that the box on the box art had this character that was a secondary or even tertiary mm, character definitely. in the finished product didn't actually talk about in in any great way the fact that it had Christopher Lloyd who was a huge star a yeah. huge huge star in the mid 90s it was the same sort of period that he was in he was uncle fester in the adams family and Completely. The adams family values they could have really leveraged that to to push this and make it a huge hit and yet that that kind of marketing push did not materialize. So that was one of the downsides to being involved with Virgin because they were, in a sense, ironically, they were on Virgin territory. They they were they were relative gaming virgins. It just seems obvious to put you know, like you said, Christopher Lloyd at that point, star of the Adams family, star of Blue and Bats the Future, for goodness sake, you know, put him front and center, like rather yeah. than this, the the, the it just, it just it, it's baffling, absolutely baffling. It is baffling. It is. It really is. I I agree. If they're trying to push this in the direction of cinematic experience as well, why not? Why not go the whole hog and make your market uh, central centralize your stars in your marketing? Hmm. Um, the marketing uh, again. This is according to the Destructoid uh, article. The marketing was all but non-existent. Uh, okay. It came out. It came out and got really good reviews. It was very well reviewed. Very well. Uh, liked but just never made its way to the public which is a real shame and given that the game cost so much again a number that I couldn't find but but uh, anecdotally cost so much to make gave Virgin Interactive the willies uh, when it when it failed to sell as well as they were hoping so basically um, everything had been put into this game and it reviewed really well but just sold terribly and possibly correlation yeah. there because of the marketing and then that was that was it kind of game over for for virgin that's a real shame yeah well virgin interactive did other things but um certainly on in terms of this game it didn't perform as well as they wanted it to which is a more of a shame even more of a shame than you realize because uh, we normally talk about this at the sec- end of the second half, but actually there was a sequel scheduled for this before What's it even that? released. Yeah. And the reason there was a sequel scheduled for it is because the game was supposed to be twice as long as it actually is. Really? Wow, did not know that. The game was supposed to be twice as long as it actually is. Um, there, There is a whole host of stuff, a game's worth of stuff, a literal game's worth of stuff, that was, was 90 to 95% complete and left behind because this is the other this is the other negative uh impact that virgin interactive had and let me just emphasize everything that i've seen suggests that virgin interactive's involvement with this was very positive except for the aspects of marketing and this 
And this is a pretty big one, though, because they saw the game that had been made um, and said, this is twice as long as it should be. Find a way to end it in the middle and we'll save the rest for a sequel. Because they were so convinced it was going to be their their big hit. And what happened was the game sank and the sequel never happened, even though it is somewhere in near complete condition or, or was somewhere in near yeah. complete condition. The game, never, the, the sequel never happened. It's a it 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 sounds the sequel sounds like just uh, the just just exactly what you'd want because um the retro gamer article uh in the retro gamer article Jennifer McWilliams was interviewed she was a co-writer and designer on the game and she's got lots of lots of interesting things to say but the thing that I am going to read to you is about her perspective on um not her perspective her outline of what the second half of this game was because it just sounds like exactly my cup of tea i, I would have loved it so she says toonstruck was meant to be a funny story about defeating some really weird bad guys as it was when released but originally it was also about defeating one's own creative demons it was a tribute to creative folks of all types and was meant to offer an encouragement to any of them that had lost their way. So the second part of the game had Drew venturing into his own psyche, facing his fears like a psychotically overeager dentist, which reminded me of... Um, Psychonauts. Psychonauts 2, yeah. Well, Psychonauts as well, but Psychonauts 2 even more so. Uh, living out his fantasies, like meeting his hero Vincent van Gogh, and eventually finding a way to restore his creative spark. That was That was her encapsulation of the second half of Toonstruck, which was then cut. Um, Destructoid talks uh, about parts of it as well, like the fact that there was going to be an entire Wild West-themed world, um, an area that resembled a child's bedroom at night, complete with scary closet monsters that could only be defeated by turning on a light. And, strangest of all, you would have gotten to meet, as as uh, Jennifer told us, Vincent van Gogh, which would have been amazing, wouldn't it, to mm. see... Um, to see Christopher Lloyd and Vincent Van Gogh hitting it off. Um, there is a website. I don't. I imagine you've heard of it, but there's a website called LostMediaWiki.com. Have you heard of Lost no, Media I haven't. Wiki? But I, I can so imagine is, what it is from the title. That yes, yeah, a database that collates all kinds of lost media. So um, it's not just games; it's videos and cartoons from television and anything basically that has been lost to time for various uh, for any kind of different reason. And I'm going to send you over the link because uh, for this, because what they've got is a rundown of all of the scenes or settings for the second half of the game. There are 32 distinct sequences or events outlined on Lost Media Wiki. So it's not even like this game was re like visualized. They they thought it about what they'd like it to be. It's that this game was there. It was it was finished. There's even music that they've listed alongside uh, different sequences that was in place. They got the music in place. I think they'd even done the the voice acting for it. So yeah, it's a real loss, a, yeah. a huge loss. The, the fact they've gone so far as to get these, well, you said the voice artist, but also there's actual concept art of the characters, there's actual scenes and stuff. You know, this this was, as you said, clearly very close to completion. And then for it to just be put to one side is, uh, I, I understand why they put it to one side, because the game didn't sell as well as they were hoping, but it, it's still very sad, isn't it? 
Well, my thoughts on it are that it should never have been cut anyway. I think that is perhaps the most cynical thing you can do, to take something that a, a group of artists have envisioned as a complete piece and then to just arbitrarily chop it in half because you think you can make double the money on it. Well, that's what DLC is, isn't it? Bits that get ripped I, out of the game. It, and... Oftentimes it is. It's not always no. to be diplomatic about it, but oftentimes and in the most cynical circumstances, yes, a lot of a lot of the time DLC is in place at the beginning of a or or sort of midway through the cycle of a game's development, and then they slice it out like a like a little ham that they can parcel up and sell separately. Um, but this is this is not even that. This is a case of the game was a finished product. The game was a complete single unit um of of storytelling with an interesting arc for the main character and because some higher ups decided that they could make more money on it or arbitrarily it was too long um they had to chop it right down the middle come up with a new cliffhangery ending for the middle and hoped and pray that that everything would work out for them and it didn't so we've we've been left in a situation where this this single unit of art if if you can <laughs> that sounds that sounds like a strange notion a single unit of art but this this thing that was a cohesive whole is now half of what it was and we we are we have at least for for a long time not been able to see the second part that the to, that would make it whole it's like releasing sonic and knuckles and never releasing sonic 3 just like that yeah, well, so, it's so, it sort of is. I, I would count that by sort of say my memory of the game is it being. I, I always felt it was quite a decent size as it is. Like it wasn't a game I could blitz through quite quickly. I also remember it being quite hard. So maybe if the game was longer at the same difficulty, maybe that would have turned people off. Possibly. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember it being. Um... I don't remember it being excessively short or anything like that. I think in in terms of standards of the day, it was certainly the the right length in yeah. air quotes um, for a, for a point and click adventure game. the The problem that I have though is that it wasn't as it wasn't that it, to start off with. It wasn't that, and I I think there's such things as feature creep and um, overscoping in game design and development, and you should do all you should do all you can to to avoid those things but this wasn't this was the vision this was their this was their aim all mm. along and if it's a choice between if it's a choice between missing out on a whole half of the story that they were trying to tell or um having a having an overlong game then i would take the overlong game <laughs> uh hands down it's it's not really a a choice because at least then you can pace yourself through the game as you as you see fit as opposed to being told that the only access that you'll have to it is some screenshots that came from yeah a, a designer that worked on it so yeah it's it's a shame especially from what i've heard about the game and seen about the game on on various different places in in particular lost media wiki it looks it looks so good it really does look so good. So yeah, there there are little rumbling. There have been um, for the last two decades, really, 
rumblings that it might happen that it might somehow get a release and actually that retro gamer article from 2017 it ends with the idea that maybe it'll happen yeah but that's that's now from five years ago and it is exactly yeah and nothing's really come to light in in that way i suspect that with the game you know being so far past its uh kind of the, the the release date and any possible sequel i mean this this is a game that i i had i didn't know any other people that had it at all i think you're the first person i've ever met that actually also owned a copy of it as well or he mm. at least played it not owned a copy oh I, no i owned a copy oh, I, did you? I, so right. my next door neighbor had it and then i you were so one impressed of the first games it. that i bought yeah messiah was the first game that i ever bought my for my own pc but then um this was <clears throat> this was on its heels it was about five pound so <laughs> Yeah, it was it was in like a a bargain um, bin, I think, the equivalent of that in electronics boutique, anyway. Yeah, I got this for my um, I think my fourteenth birthday. It was when we first got a PC, and I mm. had like a list of here's some games I want. Thank you very much, please. And it was like there was this. It was on the white label, so it would have been five ten quid. There was this, yeah. the first two Monkey Island games. I think Little Big Adventure two. Uh, I think that's probably it. So, but a good a good haul of games. Maybe the, the big wrench too less so for you after our sprint a few weeks ago. But uh, yeah, mm, yeah. Um, so just to finish off this half, there are there's lots more to talk about. But to to finish off this half, um, in the retro game article, which is well worth reading, we will. I as you as you said, we should we should link people to that because it is interesting. Um, the one of the artists that worked on the game, John Piampiano which is one of the most fun names That's I've ever a, said. a very satisfying name to say. John Piampiano. Yeah. It's singable. Um, he said that the game ended up... Well, he said that the game was a swan song to 2D gaming platforms, whether intentional or not. Because I don't think, as as he right, as he's rightly highlighting, I don't think that this was intended as a, as a swan song to anything. I think it was intended as the beginning of a huge deal for Virgin Interactive. And they they put they put everything into it. They pulled all the stops out except on the marketing for some stupid reason. And what it ended up being is one of these strange transitional artifacts where some of the best stuff that's ever been done in a genre um, or or in a medium actually happens at the tail end of its yeah um, of its lifespan or or its first beginning or, or its beginnings at least here because really mid to late 90s the 3d stuff was starting up with the playstation certainly rocketing it all into the into the four of people's minds uh 3d was looking like in in some horrible uh, some horrible points looking like the death of 2d games in general so nobody seemed to want to make a 2d anything like yeah. 2d platformers went went the way of the dodo and two uh point and click adventure games which were some of the most beautiful beautifully rendered experiences that i got my hands on in those uh, in those days they died a death just after or probably around about the same time as this we've got titanic adventure out of time 1997 i think Fandango was 97 as well yeah just this hugely creative moment in in a genre that all of these games sort of fell below the radar because of people's focus was somewhere else completely. And it's a huge shame. But for Toonstruck in particular, it just meant so much went to the cutting room floor. So much was l- lost because the timing just wasn't right. Yeah. And the timing hasn't been right for, for the sequel to ever release. And that's that's the problem that we've got. At the same time, Psychonauts, as we've, meant, we've mentioned Psychonauts before, Psychonauts 2 was actually, uh, you know, more than a decade after the original game. So... 
was it 17 years? Uh, just trying to... It was, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, probably something like 2006? Yeah, 15, 16 I years, I can't remember. Possibly. It, it's a long t- it was yeah. a long time coming anyway, and it, and it happened. The difference being, though, I think, it had a going concern in the form of Double Fine and Tim Schafer and Microsoft all behind it. Yeah, and people, and people actively clamoring for it whereas this i don't yes, suspect this... i mean there's i, I suspect it's probably like a, a hardcore fan base that would love to see a sequel but i don't I'd love to see a sequel think... i'd love to see the sequel yeah but um i don't think it's going to happen we, we've also got return to monkey island which is coming out later yeah. this year so yeah. you know you never know we might get a return to whatever it's called the world because i don't know if it does have a name i hopefully we'll find out well that's like a good point to sort of jump in and uh and find out i think mm-hmm It's a corker. I've done it again. It's a corker. What was the last game that I brought? I can't remember. I see. I feel like it was bad. Uh, let me have. A We've look. had a bit of a run of stinkers, didn't we? With, yeah. Or not even stinkers. It was. It wasn't stink. It's not been stinkers. It's been underwhelming. Good games. Uh, They're fine. Axiom Verge. That's pretty good. Well. In oh no, Axiom your... Verge is damn good. Yeah. Uh, no. That pu- fair puzzle, enough. Puzzle Bobble. Rollercoaster Tycoon have been the last couple that you've brought. So, two good ones. Oh, well, they're good as well. Oh, I, yeah, there you go. I've done it again. Did it again. Done Did it again. It, yeah, it's another good one. Yeah. I'm not doing it on purpose. I'm not. I. Yeah. Although, I'm glad that, that it's happening. Because, yeah, Toonstruck, fantastic. It, it's, it's really, really good. We haven't got... Obviously, the game being a point-and-click adventure game is... There's a lot to get through. And for... I've played about the first hour or so of yeah, it and yeah, done the puzzles in the village and done the puzzles in the the initial puzzles in the in the palace and then just had a quick scout around at the various different locations on Inkutopia. Uh, and that's as far as I got. But all of the stuff that I did was enjoyable and the puzzles they're not as challenging as I remember them being, but they're fine they're fine enough in terms of having to use logic and being challenged cha- offering a degree of challenge and certainly if they ramp up in difficulty as the game gets going i would expect that there's something later on that's that's even more challenging Uh, but more more than challenge satisfaction hmm. i just felt very satisfied every time i uh, puzzled something out yeah it was a very well structured game as well i pointed out to you that the first area you come to is a castle and there are only two characters to speak to and you aren't allowed out of the castle until you've gotten a certain item and it's basically tutorial because you have to speak to one character and then speak to the character and then go back and speak to the character so it's it's giving you this sort of small area to kind of basically uh wet your whistle i guess and kind of figure out the, the mechanics of the game which is again very clever but then even that once you get out into the wider area of utopia there's only four shops to go into four locations and a few of the kind of fields around that like it's not vast and i was thinking about other points click games like monkey island for example when you first start off monkey island you're dumped onto melee island and you've got loads of different locations to go to probably not that much more than this i guess but i think the, the point i'm making is that it feels very focused and tight there's definitely an element of ramping up and mm. there are things that are gated off until 
Uh, it is gated. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning, so that you can't progress beyond your capacity, maybe, or or beyond where the game wants you to be, so that you can learn a few ins and outs before you get stuck in. But once you do get into that village place, into the village area where the bakers and the fancy dress place and so on is. You you can actually move ahead from there. You can you can go to the next screen where the carecrow is. Sorry, where fluffy fluffy bun bun is. Then the next screen where the carecrow is, and then there's a barn in the distance where you can you can pop up there and see the wholesome versions of what will become the bondage cow. Yeah, probably kind um, of malevolated. Yeah, and then there's there's like um, there's like tip bit t- tastes of what's to come as well because if you go to the instead of going right to the barn at the carecrow scene you go left just one screen up from there is the uh route to zany do which you can't get to but it uh flux gets very excited when he sees the what is it like a cross between a, a monorail and uh um one of those things that they've got alton towers where you ride over the trees what's that called uh... a hangy a hangy crane thing Cable car. You know what I mean. Cable car. Yes, a cross between a monorail and a cable car. That Powered by an elephant. Do. Powered by an elephant that stands on top, yeah. yeah. And lots of seeding of future puzzles and future plot points. Because that, for example, the um, the blah, 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 the monorail powered by an elephant, were, the way I think that you get that elephant moving is those there's two hands on the machine. And you can offer it a nut... To, to make it go, oh, I remember how to solve that puzzle, actually. I'm going to put walk you through the puzzle. So to get to Zanidu, um, you actually have to offer it a different hand to the one with the nut because that makes it try and run away. And in all, uh, w- what you put in that is hand the mouse? is the mouse yeah, that classic. you get from a previous puzzle where you have to maneuver the mouse to stand underneath a mouse trap and then get Zany to uh, trap or, or donk the mouse with a big comically oversized hammer. And then you take the, the mouse, you pop it in the hand and offer up the hand and that'll let you get to Zany Do. It's so I've just realised the... Points in Clip 101, isn't it? You get this item, you sort of use that item to solve yeah. this puzzle, you get an item from that puzzle, it enables you to do this, etc, etc. It is. But then also that nut, the nut that is already in the hand of that contraption, that nut is the solution to one of the overarching puzzles whereby you're trying to build a cutifier to undo the dastardly deeds of Count Nefarious's malevolator, and you you need the what they I think term the opposite ingredients towards yeah. the malevolator. One of which is a bolt, a, an actual hardware bolt. Uh-huh. And you'd think, and this is something we discussed. You'd think that maybe it would be nuts and bolts, but it's not a straight up hardware nut. It's actually the nut, the 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 foodstuffs the nut from that, that you use yeah and there there are a few like that that get you sort of thinking laterally yeah. or not certainly not thinking in straight lines which goes back to what you said about it being quite a rewarding satisfying experience because it's getting you to think outside the box quite a lot isn't it just pick on that yeah. point that you just mentioned about seeding as well you spotted in the intro cutscene which i skipped because as i said i've played this fairly recently it's also very long but it's good but it's long 
you spotted in that intro cutscene that there's a reference to the fact that Drew has a dentist appointment and that also there's a poster of Vincent van Gogh on the wall behind him. So it's again, we talked about this cut content that was potentially going to end up in Toonstruck 2 that was going to be in the first game. Yeah, the signs are there. Exactly. Really, really well done. Yeah. It's Um, all the more a shame. (laughs) And before we kind of move off this kind of conversation around this, you've mentioned the fact that you got the the mouse for the elephant to kind of scare it. That's kind of one of the overriding themes of Toonstruck that I really liked is how um, enthrall it is to like classic cartoons from the, the 30s 40s 50s just like everything about it is just it's a labor of love to those those sort of cartoons but even later i guess like kind of like flintstones etc so there's things like well not if, even, if character... even later there was a there was a reference to i think a reference to teeny and tiny from mm. tiny toon adventures yeah, in the point. 90s that that a loved up pair of rabbits that were in the irish irish themed scottish yeah. bar it's just all the the sound effects and the uh, like. You know, if a character runs into a wall, they they will leave a, a hole in the wall that's in the shape of that character. And there's a, there's a puzzle mm-hmm. where you have to lay a rug down over a trapdoor to make someone fall onto it, and then they fall down. And it's the thing where they're standing on air and then fall down. And yeah, end coyote getting, time exactly. And then to get to Vladimir yeah. Anvil, it's just all these like bit after bit after bit. It's just it, it's great. It's such a a rewarding experience to play through and just see all these touchstones. It feels very packed, doesn't it? It feels mm. very dense with those references. I wonder whether that's carried through the, throughout the whole game. I would expect. I can't so. really remember, but I would, yeah, I would anticipate that certainly on Zany do that would be um, filled to the brim with cartoon references. But yeah, it was really satisfying. Again, the puzzles that I did, simple but satisfying. Similarly, the uh, references to these cartoons, it didn't necessarily feel like. Hey, remember this? It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't um, member berries style nostalgia. It was, it was more like these are the these are the giants upon whose shoulders we stand. Yeah, sort of ref- references. The the um, the costume shop. Two of the costumes ha- were Wiley Co. Not Wiley Co. Two of the costumes were Elmer Fudd and Marvin the Martian from the old Warner Brothers um, Looney Tunes. So yeah, it, it was just laden with those, and they were they were satisfying. I think this also extended to the music as well. Though the music was the lovely kind of again nineteen forties, nineteen fifties style cartoon, and every scene I went into had a different piece of music, which I thought was really impressive yeah. as well. Mm, yeah, there's hardly anything that I didn't just think was so well done. Yeah, but that speaks to what their remit was because they were just being told do what it takes to make this great, and that that comes through in every facet that so the thing that i initially thought the first feeling that i had when i when the opening cutscene starts was that actually it's in it's live action uh christopher lloyd sat his right his drawing desk and it looks heavily heavily compressed which given they came out in 1996 was being developed over the course of the previous three years you'd kind of expect because technology just was that's where technology was and it was it wasn't it wasn't film grade technology they had to direct it at consumer grade pcs and and they needed to be able to run what what came out the end so it was heavily compressed and i i initially had a bit of a downbeat feeling like oh that that does look a bit shonky but the longer it went on the more I realised that actually if you if you crisped that up for a mm. for a twenty twenty two Ultra HD audience, you'd lose something. 
uh, you'd lose some of the charm and you'd also lose some of the integration because what that compression led to was Christopher Lloyd's human character actually at points he looked like he'd been drawn out, out uh, as pixel art and the compression actually lent it there, there were bits where there was um unblended blocky color coloring and it looked like it'd been painted or mm-hmm. or drawn um and if you lost that then the the transition from the real world to the cartoon world would be too stark perhaps um so yeah i i actually very quickly started to appreciate even even the drawbacks of the technology what that ended up sort of offering up what they ended up with because of those drawbacks and they're clearly very proud of that intro cutscene because it was actually an option on the main menu at any point you can go you can play the intro cutscene again so you can watch that to your heart's content and yeah they should be proud of it because it it was amazing one of the pieces of lost media on the lost media wiki for for toonstruck was a vhs cassette that presumably it doesn't actually detail what was on it but it was given away in some form for right. some reason presumably that would have had the cutscenes from throughout the game so that you could sort of watch the the story unfold through the cutscenes how how um coherent that would have been i'm yeah. not sure but because you do this is one of those games where the cutscenes don't tell the story it is the moments in between yeah. uh, as you solve the puzzles and speak with the characters that that really fleshes everything out i think as well which were on the live action aspect as well i was really really impressed by how much christopher lloyd was utilized in terms of how he was interacting with characters there'd be things where a character would hand him something and he would then take this cartoon object off that character so obviously how to animate mm. or get him to film a scene where he's, he's done that but there were so many bits where he was doing something and like with his hands or his body or, or whatever. And, you know, they've had to have filmed him doing that from this angle or from this angle. And they must have spent so long getting all this uh, uh, footage of him doing whatever. And then they put in the game so seamlessly, like you, you could genuinely believe that Drew Blank was there interacting with those characters. It was, it was genuinely yeah. really impressive. Yeah, I absolutely. Completely agree. I also think it was really funny. Like some of the stuff he was saying was making me laugh. Some of the stuff that Flux Wildly was saying was making me laugh. The other characters as well. Like it was, it's a very well written, very polished game as well. Like almost, I would say, on a par with Monkey Island in terms of the humour side of it as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I um I enjoyed the names of the games that were referenced in the arcade. There was Sweet Fighter. These are games that the Qtopians like that uh, wouldn't go down very well in Zany do. Sweet Fighter was one of them and Mortal Wombat. I can only imagine what Mortal Wombat entails. But yeah, I like the fact that they took two of the two of the sort of, I suppose, two of the most violent mainstream games. I know that they pale in comparison to a lot of stuff that was out even then. But uh, certainly Mortal Kombat had a had a reputation, didn't it? And and then imagined what the count uh, the polar opposite of them would be, and landed on Mortal Wombat. I lo- I love that idea. Do you uh, did you ever watch Blinky Bill talking of Saturday morning cartoons? So koala dude. Yeah, yeah. Well, he he had a grumpy neighbour who was a wombat, and whenever when I hear the the game name Mortal Wombat, that's that's the character that immediately sprung to mind. Like this grumpy wombat who was going through Blinky Bill's world, terrorising everybody because he just had enough he'd snapped. <laughs> Mortal wombat. Like falling Brilliant. down. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
Another thing I really liked about it was the the art style, like how how good it looked. Again, we, we sort of talked about how it, it references all these classic cartoons with like the hole in the wall, etc. But also just the the look of it, how good it looked. Like you you could almost believe that Drew Blank was walking around this this cartoon world that is so much a reference point to all those Disney and Warner Brothers cartoons. Like I really enjoyed just exploring, just seeing what I could see. Yeah, the, there was a moment that you pointed to as well where he was handed something or he picked something up yeah. and it translated to being actually in his hand, physically in his hand as an actor, to then being part of the cartoon world or vice versa. And I think that was really well done. One of the things that struck me while I was playing and one of the things that I hadn't realised before, but I mentioned all of those people that are in this game, Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jim Cummingses and the Don DeLuises and the Ben Steins and whatnot. And obviously, Ben Stein's an obvious uh, one because he's he's his human self at the very beginning of the game. But I couldn't remember who Jim Cummings had played, who whose voice he was, until the king came on and was talking and he immediately sounded like Winnie the Pooh. And that then brought to mind that Jim Cummings had been Winnie the Pooh and that, w- that, that it must be him playing it. So that then got me thinking about the fact that I was playing this in probably about 97 and would have been about nine years old and how, and there was another one as well. So the the lady on the phone that he, uh, his um, agent or whoever was telling him about his dentist appointment, that voice sounds very, very similar to one of the tiny tunes. Okay. And there were voices all the way through today playing. There were voices that I was going, well, that sounds like this character from this show that i used to watch and that must have been going on because it was all a, all have been very fresh in my mind at, at nine years old and we i would they would have been running concurrently as well so i would have been playing this game at the same time as these shows were still on mm-hmm. television and i was enjoying those and knew the characters how they sounded and then listening to them in this game so it had that going for it and that should have been a real big selling point that they kind of missed out on that it, it not only referenced what had gone before, but it was also referencing kind of what was running at that point, I guess. By its by the very nature of having the same people mm. playing uh, characters in both things, that they were cropping up in the same uh, in in these two different places that also shared a link across mediums. But instead, they went with the front cover having a scary looking clown on it. Yeah, I think the more I think about it, the more I think you're right in that that is an unnecessary doorway they if they'd if they put on this if they'd done something that captured the magic of saturday morning cartoons yeah then that that would have been a much more lucrative route in and therefore successful and we would have got the second half of the game as we should have alas uh, certainly alas alas indeed so one of the things that i didn't get to talk about didn't didn't quite get around to talking about was how the game deals with progression of time passage of time and there are some nods to it already so one of the things that you pointed out is that you spoke to a character went away from the character came back to the character and he referenced that character then referenced the fact that you'd this was the second conversation you were having with them and it was like oh i'm back or you're back, or something like that. And it always and, impresses me when games do that. Well, when points of games do that, because the ones I played, you just cycle through the same conversations over and over. And the fact that there were points of games that did that, where it kind of actively acknowledged the fact that you'd already spoken to them, you know, interacted how a human would do in real life. It always impresses me. So this is one of those games that goes to great pains to try and show the progression through the characters and the dialogue options that are, are there, and the way that they uh, and the things that they talk about with you. Um, if you go back 
back to a character later on in the game and something grand has happened, something major has happened, then there's a good chance that that character will know about that and will talk with you about that and discuss it. So, and that was one of the ways that they tried to show that time was actually passing, that you were un, you were sort of, if you remember, if you just bear in mind that this game is almost a race against time in so much as you're trying to create this cutifier machine to counterbalance, uh, to counteract count, uh, Count Nefarious's Malevolator and that if you don't do that fast enough then the whole world's going to be in in jeopardy. If you take that into account then time becomes actually quite an important thing and it's always pressing down on you Um, and they wanted that to they wanted the player to really feel that Uh, and so they did that with the characters addressing those things that have happened previously. They also did it with inter interstitials uh, cuts it yeah I suppose they are interstitial scenes between between two scenes so if you move if you've done some a certain thing and then you move from one scene to the next in between that scene you will get this interstitial cutscene. maybe uh, the one example is that nefarious catches wind that there's someone out there trying to thwart his plans and so he sends his minions out uh, lugnut what were they called frequency lugnut and are they robots? goggles yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, I remember them. They look like the Again, Michelin Man. That they're really kind of that tradition of Saturday morning or Disney cartoons where you've got the the they evil, the evil henchmen. bad guy, and then the the bumbling idiotic henchman. They're completely that, aren't they? They are. Yeah. And actually, if you if you spoke to what's his face, the Dodo, oh, if you spoke Brick-a-Brack. to Royal Engine at Brickerback, if you spoke to Brickerback uh, enough in the game, he gives you a picture of them. And shows you this is Lugnut frequency and goggles, and they are exactly that. They they are characteristic henchmen of of Saturday morning cartoons. And at some point, there will there will be nefarious sending them out to find you. And then a few story beats later, they will catch up with you, and they will try and thwart something that you're doing. And you will then have to contend with them. You will uh, you will hopefully overcome them, and and they will go away with their tail between their legs possibly come back later so there are all these different ways for uh that they tried to seed the passing of time the passage of time into the game and make you feel like you were constantly having to push forward and drive forward and not waste time and also i guess for the the main character kind of also make him feel like he's under the cosh you know rather than just okay nefarious has turned up he's malevolized things and that's it, he's gone away like yeah you know, so here it, you go amble around and exactly. find out in your own time yeah exactly they really wanted to push that button for the player and um, the other thing that i didn't mention and i think you're possibly itching to get a couple of um negatives in no, i've got two I, things i'll to... be honest i don't have any negatives at all the only negative all oh, right got okay is that it's quite hard but that's okay. fine that's fine um there was one more thing that i didn't mention in the first half and that was that this game is also a product of another character that, or, or person, I suppose I should say, um, that has cropped up in previous uh, episodes that we've done, and that is David Perry, because David game Perry. is yeah, not not Dave Perry, nope, of Games not Master. Make that mistake, no. Nope. David Perry, the developer who worked for Virgin and then left uh, very very shortly before this started development, I believe, and this game was kind of a reaction to that in the sense that. Virgin were really looking to make their mark. They'd lost their big, their main, their main man in the form of David Perry and his team, and 
and this was a direct response to that. They they drafted in some new blood or some uh, certainly for Virgin Interactive, and they crafted a series of games or ideas for games that were to try and counteract the fact that David Perry, their creative mastermind, or one of their creative masterminds, had jumped ship. Um, one of them was the seventh guest, which came out before this, and the other, uh, and another one of them is this uh, is Toonstruck. And Toonstruck's in a strange position in some senses because one of the games that, in fact, possibly the first game, you might be able to correct me on this if if I'm incorrect, but one of the first games, certainly, that David Perry made post-Virgin Interactive was Earthworm Jim. Yes, I think it was the first one. Yeah. Which so then, obviously, th- itself That is a Saturday spawned. morning cartoon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Uh, and this is very much playing in the same field as that. They they're both messing around with the idea of Saturday morning games. One in a more earnest way. One in a more parodic uh, hum- homage style. Uh, and then the fact that Earthworm Jim itself game. actually spawned a Saturday morning kids cartoon itself as well. There's, exactly. uh, there's a nice degree of circularity there, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Sure. So um, yeah, it's it was an interesting position. I imagine that everybody found themselves in mm. in that mid to late, uh, mid early to mid nineties point with David Perry being a direct competitor and then making games that were dealing in the same um, ideas. So yeah, overall, the experience of replaying the beginning of Toonstruck has only left me wanting more. Yep, it's not a huge venture, is it, to to play through. And so I imagine that that'll probably be something that I do maybe in the next couple of days. Yeah, I've I've been very very impressed by playing it today. Like how how it holds up, you know, a game that is we said numerous times twenty five years old. It it's it's great. It really is. The last thing that I am going to say on the game uh, is that it had things. It had it had tiny little quality of life things that I just wasn't finding in other. Um, in other point and clicks of the time for example when you're in a when you're in a conversation a lot of the time you have to press goodbye or the equivalent in the game you actually have to press it physically in this if you just click off the scene if you just click off the conversation anywhere else on the scene drew will say goodbye and that streamlined things quite a lot in a strange way Definitely. The other thing that you can do here is that instead of having to left click and and actually watch your character traverse the screen to get to where you've left clicked, if you right click, they will jump to the next to to wherever you've clicked. So, for example, if you're on the left hand side of the screen character wise, and you want to walk off the scene to the right, instead of left clicking that prompt to walk off to the right, if you right click it, it will just skip to where you're where you're wanting to end up and those two things together i think streamlined things immensely and probably actually also cut the game uh length quite Mm. considerably because sometimes having to watch a character if you think about um guybrush coming down off the cliff top down oh yeah yeah into town that takes quite a while i i mean i think they've sped that up to some extent anyway and and sort of tried to economize it and make it efficient but Actually, it takes a while, and if it was in this game, you'd probably be able to do it in a in a click. Yeah. So yeah, very very much appreciated. 
So if we've then... wetted your whistle at all for Toonstruck, it's currently available on Steam for a mere £7. I got it on sale uh, about a month or so ago when I last played it for, I think it was down to £4 something, but Ashley said it's a, it's been on sale for as little as £2.40 as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, all those prices are great. Even, I think, full price at £7 is still an absolute bargain. Certainly is. Yeah, £7 for this is... I paid about that probably when I when I got it. Uh, originally and it was more than worth it then and i think it's more than worth it now still one of the one of the most enjoyable point and clicks i've played even that first hour or so so yeah yeah highly recommended well thank you all for listening um next week it'll be back onto one of my games um in the meantime if you could join us on all social medias facebook twitter instagram and youtube and like share subscribe rate and review i've had a few people join us on facebook in the last week or so which has been lovely to see so if you could all keep doing the sharing etc that would be very very grateful yes please all the things that podcasts ask you to do do them here that'd be great thank you for joining us thank you for staying to the end we will see you next week bye Ta-za.